The views expressed on this broadcast of the Take 12 Recovery Radio Show do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or its affiliates. KHLT and Take12Radio.com are not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with Chris Schroeder and Monty Meyer. And now, here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. And we are not down on the floor anymore. We are up standing on our own two feet by the power of of a loving and forgiving God. Welcome to Walking Through the Big Book with the Monty Man and, of course, Chris Schroeder. Hey, Chris, how are you, buddy? Great, Monty. How are you doing today? It's a wonderful day. Uh, I don't know if, uh, last week, I don't know if I had been to the acupuncturist or not yet, had I? I don't think so. Don't think so. Well, you know, as you know, I've, I've had these back problems. And I went to an acupuncturist, and I am telling you what, what a wonderful, wonderful uh, feeling to be... Uh, pretty much pain-free uh it lasts about a week and uh, then you go back in we got real great insurance but i i'm just so grateful for this lady she's just a neat lady so um you know anything that can help uh, physical pain go away uh without being a narcotic man i'm, I'm just all for <laughs> so am i so am i <laughs> oh man so it's been a great week how about you I've had a really good week. Very, very busy. <clears throat> I had my my daughter and granddaughter for a month and a half long visit, and uh, that was uh, that was wonderful. And now things are a little bit back to normal. Back to normal. Wow, that's a dirty word, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. I'm glad you had a good time, uh, folks. Uh, as you know, if you, uh, we're walking through the big book and crawling through the big book, really, in some spots because we're not in a big hurry. Um, but I want you to know that. <clears throat> We have these available for you. Um, you can uh, order them as uh, MP3 files if you like. Um, you can actually pre-order um, these CDs, and we'll send uh, out to you what we have, and then uh, we'll keep you. We'll keep sending you a CD as the show goes. Uh, but you can go to uh, go to our page there. And it'll explain all that. Um, but these uh, are now available for you um, on CD. Now, if you if you're able to play an MP3 file, and this is the best way to do it, <clears throat> there. Uh, There'll be just a couple of CDs, so that way you don't have, you know, you know, 500 CDs that you have to have. Um, but we're going to put it on an MP3 DVD file for you too. So uh, let us know if you're interested in that. Just give me an email at take12radio at comcast.net and um, leave your phone number and contact information. We'll get a hold of you and get those out to you. Okay, Chris, what are we doing today? Well. This is the third week that we're on the chapter working with others. We're, we, like you said earlier, we're taking our time. There's a lot of information in here, and we, I don't want to uh, miss any of it uh, because it's all so important. But we're on page 96. Now, um, 
I heard a great story, and I'm, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. Uh, this this comes from uh, uh, the great uh, Joe and Charlie uh, during one of their big book seminars. But they tell the story of this young uh, this young woman uh, who goes up to her sponsor, and she's she's about to start dating. She feels like she needs to needs to get out there and start becoming social sociable again. And so she asked her sponsor, you know, I need some dating advice. I need some relationship advice. I need to know how to do this sober. So her sponsor tells her, okay, uh, go to the place in, in the big book where it, where it talks about uh, uh, issues with relationships. And she goes, okay, where's that? And the sponsor says it's on page 69, which is, which is where uh, uh, the sex inventory is. Now, on the way home, uh, the woman uh, gets it confused, and instead of going to page 69, she goes to page 96. Monty, would you start reading at the top of page 96 and see what she, uh, what advice she got from her sponsor? Certainly. Uh, do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. <laughs> Search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you I- offer. <laughs> Isn't that great? That is that is awesome. We find we find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man uh, who cannot or will not work with you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. He may be broke or homeless. It's, it says. Oh yeah. Later. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I wanted I wanted to share that because it's uh, I I just I love that story. Uh, that's now, great. What we were talking about last week was was basically the first visit, our initial engagement with our prospect Mm -hmm. and you know i really like the way this book um uh describes the people that we're working with you know there's there's so many slang terms out there uh today that i i kind of disagree with um uh, you know pigeons babies uh pukes you know you'll hear all kinds of uh ways to describe these 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 uh these newer uh, individuals that you're working with, and I, you know, uh, Monty, uh, I'm of the school that uh, we were humiliated and shamed enough out there with alcohol. We we don't need uh, we don't need to find that in recovery. Right, I totally agree with you. So the terminology they basically use is uh, prospect for someone you're trying to engage in the recovery process. Once they've agreed to start working with you, then they're a protege. And once they're finished with the steps, they're a friend. Mm. And that's the way this book describes the individuals that you're, uh, you're working with. And I, you know, I really like to use that. And uh, conventional wisdom, uh, being what it is, when you, when you use those terms in some of the recovery groups out there, uh, you know, people won't know what, what the heck you're talking about. And mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of a shame. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's how they describe them in here. Anyway, we've, we've met with them the first time. We've uh, we've left them uh, the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, we've asked them uh, to read it. We've told them about a little bit about our story, about what it was like, what happened, what it's like now, and hopefully we've engaged them enough so that they've talked with us about this and they're interested. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to move on to the second visit, which is the second paragraph down on page ninety-six. <clears throat> Suppose. Now you are making your second visit to a man. He has read this volume and says he is prepared to go with, through with the 12 steps of the program of recovery. You know, those are, those are some powerful sentences right there. Um, you know, traditionally today, what they want to do is they want to get you to a meeting. 
They want to get you to a meeting so you can start hearing, you know, people share. I really don't think that is as good an approach as the one that they describe in this book. Because if an individual has read the book Alcoholics Anonymous and you ask them, are you willing to go to any lengths, they're going to understand what that is. And then you get a commitment from them, at the, at, you know, the best kind of commitment you can get, uh, to go through with the 12 steps. Now, if they had some reservations about some of the steps, I don't necessarily see that, you know, that's a deal breaker. A lot of times you don't have the power to do the ninth step, you know, when you're, when you're brand new and you've just read this book. The power uh, uh, for each step comes from taking the action of the preceding step. But you can ask them, well, would you be willing to do this if you could, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, you at least need to get uh, that type of an affirmation from them uh, to move on. Sure. Then it, then it says, having had the experience yourself of going through the 12 steps, you can give him much practical advice. Let him know if you, you are available if he wishes to make a decision. That's a third step decision. And tell him um, and tell his story. That's basically the fifth step. But do not insist upon it if he pres- uh, if he prefers to consult with someone else. So does it say does it say drag them to a meeting? Nope. No, it does not. In these early days, they didn't want a bunch of half measure people in the meeting. If someone wasn't willing to go through the through the 12 steps, they they really didn't want them in their fellowship. The fellowship was about people who were well along in the steps and uh, and, uh, basically fellowshipping with each other to keep on this path and talking about where they can find more prospects, where, where they can find suffering alcoholics to offer this solution to. So uh, I really, I really love this, and over the course of time, uh, this has really become my my method of of operation. If someone asks to work with me, um, uh, I don't just say yes. Uh, basically, I've got some I've got some requirements, and and I need to find out all I can about them. We need to sit down and talk. I need to qualify them uh, as far as them giving me some of their uh, their experience, their drinking experience, their the, what happens to them when they drink, what happens to them when they're sober. I need to know that, and I need to I need to allow them basically the dignity of seeing what are what the process is for recovery, which is basically laid out in this book. So I'll leave a book with them, and or I'll give them I'll give them some assignments. They you know they need to read a certain amount of chapters maybe and call me back. And then and then move through, but before I start um, taking somebody through the steps, I want them to know what they look like because I really don't have time for the pooper outers. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, this book, it, it, it said, we were we talked about it last week. This book basically says our time as recovered alcoholic is very very valuable, and we don't want to waste it with people who are not <clears throat> committed to the program of recovery. You know, yeah. there's the fellowship and there's the program. And the fellowship, at best, can generate a period of time where one can stay sober, yet untreated. Uh, this recovery program, what it can offer is it can offer freedom from addiction, freedom from alcoholism as a way of life. So that's a much more important um, 
important thing to offer somebody than to just offer them mere encouragement not to drink and to show up at some meetings where, you know, <clears throat> people are updating you on their drama du jour. Yeah. So, <laughs> again, it's a matter of uh, my time is valuable. Uh, I want to work with the people who are going to respond. You know, even in clinical trials in the medical industry, you know, they'll, they have clinical trials all the time. They will weed out the people who uh, basically are bad bet for that clinical trial. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll qualify them out of that trial because of one reason or another. Same type of thing with us. Uh, we, when we qualify someone out who is not willing to work with us, we remain friendly with them. But basically, we let them know that, you know, if you change your mind and you want to go through with this, I'll do anything I can to help. But, uh, but it's not in my best interest or yours uh, to, you know, play phone games with you every night at 7 o'clock. Uh, you know, having you let me know, you know, what new disaster you've gotten into because you're an untreated alcoholic. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, it does. And as a matter of fact, <clears throat> I got a slight cough today, too. Um, as a matter of fact, it, it, it's interesting because uh, on Wednesday's show, The Coffee Experiment, um, it, we're doing a two-part show right now. And part one is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we're talking about online and real-time sponsorship uh, or offline sponsorship, uh, face-to-face stuff. And we spent uh, most of the time talking about some factors to consider in choosing a sponsor. And, and uh, next week, we're going to be talking about uh, 12 qualities of a sponsor. And we gave a hint to one of them. And it's, the first one was, uh, as a sponsor, I will not help you stay and wallow in limbo. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's absolutely true. Uh, you know, uh, so, so many people are, are allowed to languish in the fellowship, uh, not being held accountable to a recovery process that will offer them freedom and and, and a huge quality of life uh, and permanent uh, permanent sobriety, uh, that that's an unbelievable shame. You know, he, as an aside, I'm going to digress a minute. Okay. In the in the 1976 uh, uh, third edition of the book Alcoholics Anonymous on the dust jacket. <clears throat> It basically said the message of Alcoholics Anonymous is the book, the textbook, Alcoholics Anonymous, the message of, of AA is in the steps. Now, you know, you let, you let people get their hands in things and they'll mess it up. So when the fourth edition came out, if you look at the 2000 edition of the fourth edition, uh, Dust Jacket, it basically says that uh, what was the message of AA uh, so what they had done was they had made it into uh, like a historical statement, like the, the, the steps and the book Alcoholics Anonymous were, uh, was the message for those poor alcoholics back in the day. Mm. And it, it, it's really a shame. And there's a lot of, <clears throat> a lot of, uh, of members have basically been saying you need to change that, and they, and they ended up, they, they, did, uh, they did change that. And a lot of people have been pushing New York for an answer, too. If we're supposed to carry the message to the still-suffering alcoholic, what then is that message? And unfortunately, what you get from New York today is the message is anything your group wants it to be. So they they so don't want to engage in controversy, they so don't want to hurt people's feelings, 
they're making the message of Alcoholics Anonymous anything your closed-minded discussion meeting wants it to be. And I think that's being way too politically correct. I think that there are going to be people who, whose recovery and whose quality of life and, 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 and whose life, life itself is going to be affected by opening the doors that wide. You know, yeah. uh, I have to ask myself what the motivation would be for doing such a thing. That, that's toxic teaching. I, I really believe that's, that that kind of stuff is poisonous. And uh Oh boy! Make- I, you know, I was you know you know I I have uh, I have frequented uh, recovery groups who I wouldn't want them defining a message. Yeah, for me, <laughs> I gotta tell you, you know, like 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 Clem Cadillacopper in the back, who's got the loudest voice, is kind of running court, you know, and <laughs> and, and uh, his recovery is way questionable. Yeah, um, uh, I, I'm sorry, I need something a little more definitive than that. Right, you know, call, call me picky. Yeah. Okay, picky. <laughs> okay. Anyway, the next cha- the next paragraph is basically about some of the ways you're going to need to step up if you find someone who's willing to work with you. These are some of the ways that you're going to need to step up. He may be broke or homeless. If he is, you might try to help him about getting a job or give him a little financial assistance. I don't do that very much, but I've gotten a lot of people jobs. Mm-hmm. But you should not deprive your family or creditors of money they should have. And that's mainly one of the reasons why I don't give out money. Mm-hmm. Uh, perhaps you will want to take the man into your home for a few days. But be sure to use your discretion. Be certain he will be welcomed by your family and that he is not trying to po- impose upon you for money, connections, or shelter. I have taken people in, in, into my house. There's been cases where there just wasn't a, a, a detox method uh, available, or there's, there's been somebody from uh, another country you know, who's coming over uh, basically to go through, uh, go through the steps with me. And there's been many times where I've had people in my house. I've never had any problems with that. As a matter of fact, these are people who are some of my closest friends today. Oh man, I wish I could, I wish I could tell you I had the same experience. Um, I had to do what an old timer told me to do here a couple of years ago. He says, "Yeah, because some people are really gifted in that area." He said, mm-hmm. "He said, Monty, you need to take the mission sign off your door." <laughs> <laughs> well, remember there are some qualifications. Here. Yeah, you know, be sure he would be welcomed by your family, and they're not trying to impose. That's right. Uh, you know, some of the more drug addicted, uh, you know, people out there, uh, uh, they've learned how to roll out there in the world. They've learned how to hustle and, you know, uh, and and get by and get around and manipulate. And, you, you know, you, you need to you need to really be sure of someone's sincerity, uh, someone's someone's willingness. Uh, is the willingness born of desperation or are they just trying to get out of the jackpot? Yeah. Uh, a lot of those things uh, need to be qualified before you, you know, you know before you open the door and and and, and uh, you know, uh, move the kids out of the out of the bedroom, uh, <laughs> you know. But but uh, but there are there are times when when this is uh, when it works. You know, this is uh, this is the right thing to do. Um, but if you if you permit uh, someone to impose upon you, uh, you only do him harm. You will be making it possible for him to be insincere. You will be aiding in his destruction rather than in his recovery. Another thing you hear uh, bandied about in uh, in uh, in meetings today is, you know, if somebody's willing, there's nothing you can do wrong, and if somebody isn't willing, there's nothing you can do right. 
Now, uh, I take exception to that. Uh, I believe that if we make bad moves as sponsors or as uh, spiritual advisors or as 12-steppers, we can aid someone in their destruction. We can actually help help them kill themselves if we don't act uh, appropriately. It's another reason why I like to use this chapter rather than winging it, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, or doing what what will make them like me, or, or any number of things that, trust me, I've done in the past. I've, I've, I've learned... I've learned my lessons uh, in many cases, and when and when I use this chapter as a default for working with others, uh, I you know I rarely make mistakes. It doesn't mean that everybody gets through the steps and everybody recovers, uh, but uh, but my success rate is much higher. You know, as uh, the the success rate in some of the twelve step fellowships today is is pretty poor. If you see how many people pick up uh, a desire chip and how many people uh, pick up a 10-year chip, you will see that there's a huge difference in how many 10-year chips get get handed out at your group and how many, you know, 24-hour chips. Right. Now, um, now my personal success rate is pretty high. It's around 75%. About 75% of the people that, you know, engaged in this process with me are still sober. So I know this works. I know whatever is going on in the fellowships doesn't because of the amount of desire chips and the amount of 10-year coins that get given out. I mean, you know, just have your secretary keep track of that, you know, in in your meeting if you want to do uh, an analysis of of, uh, the retention rate for any particular group. Uh, But about 75% of the people that have gone through this work are still active and uh, and still working with other people uh, from my personal experience. So, you know, the recovery rate hasn't changed. We talked about this in, uh, in the forward to the second edition. Uh, 75% of the people recovered. 50% right away, another 25% after some relapse. That's what I've seen. I've seen that in my own experience. So if there are groups that don't have that, if there are people that don't have that, they lose all their sponsees, it would be a good idea to pay attention to what this says. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you know, people's lives depend on it, unfortunately. Yeah. So it says, never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you are doing the right thing if you assume them. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. Okay, let me ask you a question. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, when I read that, I I think I'm mature enough in in, <clears throat> in the literature to uh, to know that, of course, uh, God is is really the cornerstone of my recovery. God is the only reason I'm even to help other people in recovery. Um, but some might say. Helping others is the foundation stone of our, our, our recovery. Isn't God the foundation stone? Now, I'm playing devil's advocate here. You know, here's how I would describe it, and I know what you mean, and you're absolutely right. It's just a semantical uh, 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 issue. I believe that the grace of God keeps us sober. Okay, mm-hmm. I believe that, um, that, that people, as they're engaging in this process, as they're moving through the steps, are under the grace of God. Now, the grace of God keeps us sober. However, the whole point of going through the steps is to have conscious contact mm-hmm. with, the, with the God who is already keeping us sober. 
Does that make any sense? Yep, sure does. And the difference between the grace of God, which will last only as long as ignorance or, uh, uh, or failure to act, the difference between the grace of God and having a conscious contact with that God is the difference between night and day. You know, what we're about when we're moving somebody through this work is to get them in touch with the power that is keeping them sober and can, can help recreate their life. Uh, to, to get rid of the blocks that, the, you know, the grace of God is always available. The mercy of God is always available. What happens is we block ourselves off from that grace and that mercy through the actions of self. So what this process does is it removes the things that block us from a conscious contact with that which can keep us sober and help us recreate our mm. life. Does that make well, any sense? Very well put. Very well put. Okay. We are to never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you're doing the right thing if you assume them. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. Um, you know, that's another construction reference, and, uh, uh, you know, you have the keystone, you have the foundation stone, you have the arch, you, uh, you have the mortar, you know. <laughs> uh, all of these are foundation stones that, uh, that, that do make a lot of sense. And, and if, you, if you forget some of, uh, some of the building uh, 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 some of the building blocks, you're not going to have an arch through which you will walk through for, through to freedom. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen is you're going to have periods of sobriety interrupted by relapses. If you're a real alcoholic, and the problem with that is relapses can sometimes kill us, and so um, a permanent sobriety is what we need to be looking for. You know, the people who say I stay sober one day at a time, what what they're doing is they're not understanding these principles. Bill and Bob wouldn't have worked with somebody if they didn't say, I'm done for good and for all. I'm willing to be done for good and for all. They wouldn't have even worked with them. We're supposed to live life one day at a time. We're not supposed to not drink one day at a time. You know, I I don't know about you, but I tried not drinking one day at a time. And I always had a drink in my hand, you know, right after that decision. I couldn't do that. You know, so uh, so we live life one day at a time, but we quit drinking for good and for all. Oh, very that good. Mean that we that we can't relapse. If you you know if you drop your guard, if you uh, uh, if you rest on your laurels, uh, alcohol alcohol is a cunning and baffling uh, enemy. Yeah, because that's that's what I hear people say when they object to that. They say, well, <clears throat> if. Uh, if I say I'll never drink again, or if I say I, I quit for good and forever, and I, then that's going to put me in a dangerous situation to, try, to maybe drink again. And I'm like, why? Why would it? If, if you're doing this, if you're applying and implementing the principles in this book, why would that even be questionable? Uh, it's, there's, there's misunderstanding uh, within the conventional knowledge in the 12-step fellowship <clears throat> yeah. today. You know, the, the person who says, well, you know, when I came in, they told me I didn't need to quit drinking forever. All I needed to do was quit drinking for a day at a time. And if they would have told me I would have had to quit drinking forever, I never would have come in. You know, somebody that would say that is not someone they would have even allowed in meetings <laughs> in the early days. Mm-hmm. They, had, they had no desire to allow somebody like that to come in and sabotage uh, the direction that the fellowship was, uh, was aiming in. You know, that, that person would have been uh, qualified right out. You know, if you're not, you're not willing, you know, Dr. Boff would say, 
uh, say, kid, uh, you know, are you done? Are you ready to quit drinking for good? You know, I mean, that's a question that he would ask. And if you didn't give him the right answer, <clears throat> you were right out his front door. <clears throat> so, uh, again, I think we've opened the door so wide because we so don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and we so don't want to exclude anybody that, uh, that, the, that you know, practically every 12-step fellowship out there is watered down with individuals who are reluctant to participate in the recovery process. Mm-hmm. And that just, that really hurts the people who are in real trouble. Mm-hmm. Because the people who are in real trouble come in and they see they see these people doing half measures, you know, uh, they're still raping and robbing and pillaging, they're just staying sober while they're doing it. Uh, they see that and they think they can do that, yet they've gone down the scale too far to be able to get away with that. So they relapse and they figure that uh, that, uh, that 12-step fellowship doesn't work. And they go off and they die. And uh, and that's really a tragic thing, unfortunately. Yeah. But, but it's happening everywhere. Yep. <clears throat> a kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. It may mean the loss of many nights' sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. Uh, that's happened to me a lot. That you know, mm-hmm. I've I've had jobs where I can leave in the middle of the day. I need to make up the time. Yeah, uh, but I've had jobs where if if I get the call, I gotta go. This is somebody's life that's that's at stake. Right. It may mean sharing your money in your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts. Yes, sanitariums. Yes, hospitals. Yes, jails. Yes, asylums. Uh, I haven't been to any asylums, but you know the asylums have pretty much been uh, been replaced with uh, treatment centers. Right. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she is neglected. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he is violent. So I tell all of, uh, all the people I work with to, to take some martial arts training in case you have to uh, lump somebody up. Um, sometimes you will have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. This is one of them that I don't do. Uh, Monty, I gave up administering sedatives a long time ago. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? I, I had some bad luck with administering sedatives uh, to people. So, um, so what I will do, though, is I will keep airline bottles of vodka or whiskey available for 12, 12-step calls. I've found that they're perfect, and I keep them right next to the garbage bag. Now, why do I do that? It's because if I go over to somebody's house and they need to be detoxed, uh, sometimes you need to, to keep them from going into convulsions or violent withdrawal. You have to feed them a little bit of alcohol while you get them to the detox process. And the garbage bags are so that they, they don't cover the back of my car or the passenger seat of my car with vomit. Mm-hmm. I've learned the hard way. So I have, you know, I have a big book, I have the airline bottles, and I have a garbage bag. Um, <clears throat> Another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally you will have to meet such conditions. We seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for long at a time. It is not good for him, and it sometimes creates serious complications in a family. Though an alcoholic does not respond, there is no reason why you should neglect his family. Again, I make sure that the family has my phone number also, because what, what, what happens is a lot of times on a 12-step call, a person is not willing at that point in time mm-hmm. uh, to get involved in this process. They, they see it as an overreaction to a problem that 
that they really have under control if they really want to have it under control. You know, that's the, that's the misconception that most alcoholics suffer from. So what I'll do is I'll make sure everybody's got my phone number. You know, wait until the end of the next bender. You know, wait until he's, he's desperate. I just got a call 15 minutes before this show. Uh, somebody out in Pennsylvania. Chris, I'm ready. You know, so, so in the next couple of days, uh, you know, we're going to be on our way out to Pennsylvania to get this guy detoxed. Uh, I, you know, he, he's he's a, a multiple, multiple relapse or so. I think he's going to need a couple of weeks someplace, and then it's about the business of of, uh, of taking him through through the steps. Uh, this time, he's going to have to um, have to do the things he was unwilling to do before. Uh, so. Um, so you know these these are the these are the type of things that happen. And if a family has your phone number, then the next time they're in the hospital, or the next time they've they've gotten a DUI, or the next time you know they're they're begging for help, uh, they'll know how to get a hold of you. Okay, good. You should continue to be friendly to them. The family should be offered your way of life. Now, how do we do that today? They, I mean, they used to bring them into the meetings. Uh, with the alcoholics, how do we do that today, Mom? A lot of people recommend them to Al-Anon. Absolutely. Al-Anon, yeah. Al-Ateen, Families <clears throat> Anonymous. There's a lot of good programs out there. Yeah. Should they accept and practice spiritual principles, there is a much better chance that the head of the family will recover. Now, how interesting is that? If the family gets involved in Al-Anon or one of these other support programs, it's going to make it it's going to make the chances of the alcoholic getting involved in the recovery program that much greater. So, um, so that should be explained to the family. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times the family is like, "Well, he's the one that's sick. Why do I have to do any of this stuff?" Well, it'll improve the individual's chances of recovering. You know, uh, you know how willing are you to how willing are you to help help your 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 alcoholic uh, relative here? Even though he continues to drink, the family will find life more bearable, and that's the thing. That, that you know, is. I, I've I've met some people in the uh, the family uh, uh, family fellowships, Monty, who are living with an active alcoholic and having a happy and contented life. They they they've learned how not to allow all the alcoholic's collateral damage to affect their quality of serenity in life, and that's a, an amazing thing to see. Hmm. Um, let me let me ask you a question here. This, <clears throat> this is uh, this is a great page to sit down and count the cost with uh, someone you're sponsoring that is ready to go into their first uh, sponsorship position, for lack of a better term. <clears throat> because so many times we don't count the cost <clears throat> in, uh, in in different things in our recovery, and. <clears throat> But I'm looking here. This is kind of scary. I'm, I'm I'm looking here and I'm thinking, okay, my phone may be ringing off the wall. Uh, I may be dealing with frantic uh, family members. Um, I may go to court. I may do this. I may do that. And there's a, <clears throat> I would suggest that people, if I read this, I would definitely say, you know, um, you've got to put a limit on how many people you sponsor, wouldn't you say? You know, um, my, my thoughts really are is uh, God uh, provides these individuals to me now now there there has been times where i took on too many people and it 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 uh, negatively affected me but what i was doing was i wasn't qualifying them like this book says what i was uh. doing was i was saying yes to everybody that asked me and then they were unwilling to do the things i was asking them to do and then i 
fought them. Okay, that was that was a really really bad way uh, to uh, to work with other people, trying to cajole them and manipulate them into doing the things they needed to do. Now, I've found, like, in the last 10 years or so, the right amount of people come to me. I get them through the steps, and then they're low maintenance. In other words, I don't get phone calls every single day, every single night. What happens is they're now friends. Remember, they go from prospects to protégés to friends. I've got a lot of friends. Yeah. You know, so... I'm not. I'm not sure that there should be a specific number. I, I think that you should you should take direction from your sponsor or spiritual advisor and let them kind of be in charge of when when too many is too many. But uh, uh, but uh, let, let me let me tell you this. We talked before the show, Monty. You have a meeting in your house where you're going through the book with a number of uh, a number of people who uh, who are in recovery at your house. Buckle your seatbelt, because what happens when you do that is all of a sudden a fellowship grows up among you. A lot of people start asking you to take them through the work. And, you know, if, if you do that, if you have the time to do that, an incredible, an incredible fellowship grows up around you. Now there's a lot of people that you've taken through the work. You don't need to be the go-to guy anymore. There's now a team. Mm. No, a team. And if somebody comes to you and, you, you know, you, you just don't see that you have the ability, you're working with people already, you can pass them off to the, 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 the most appropriate individual that you know that's gone through this work. Yeah. So, you know, um, again, I think, I think these sponsors who have 2,000 sponsees, <laughs> each one of them calls them every day, yeah. I think that's a little bit uh, r- ridiculous. I think the sponsors who demand that, you know, you do all this fellowship stuff and don't take you through the steps, I think that's really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that by following the dictates in this book, you'll end up doing a really good job and you'll get good results. But there are egos out there. There are people who, who crave power, prestige. There, there are, you know, there, there are people who want to hold you hostage to their particular home group and, you know, berate you if, if you, you know, if you miss a coffee commitment. You know, there's like a lot of that going on out there. This book doesn't talk about that. It talks about offering them a program of recovery so that they can become free and survive, not become dependent on one more thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Sure. So I don't know if that really answered your it, question. Yeah, it does. Because way to left field. <clears throat> it does because, like you said, dependent on something else. You know, people can become dependent on their sponsors because their sponsors are so demanding that, uh, you know, <clears throat> if they miss 90 and 90, that's it. You're going to be crucified. What's, what's that, Chris? Yes. Oh, okay. I thought I lost you there for a minute. Uh, no, but some sponsors are so demanding that if you miss 90 and 90, they're going to crucify you, you know. And so the person, okay, I'm going to stick to it. And on their own power and strength, they do everything they can to do exactly what their sponsor says because their sponsor is on them constantly that uh, – they end up being dependent on their sponsor completely, and so much for a higher power. Yeah, yeah. You're not supposed to be dependent on a human power. You're supposed to be dependent upon a divine power. Right. That doesn't mean that you don't need to accept guidance to place yourself, 
you know, under under the spiritual uh, protection of uh, a sponsor or an advisor, you certainly do. Someone who's 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 experienced. But again, you know, the the, the people who uh, who are doing some of that stuff really what they're that's a cult mentality. You know, uh, to to uh, to have a hierarchy. You know, this book doesn't talk about a hierarchy. What what it talks about is it talks about a protege, it talks about a prospect, and it talks about a friend. It doesn't talk about uh, a hierarchical fellowship structure, you know, where the guy with the most time is like the leader. That they're not interested in that in this book. They're interested in God being your your leader. So, so again, you know, there's 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 good things out there. There's bad things out there. You know, some people are born to follow. You know, some people really <laughs> like to lead. But this is more about uh, this is more about finding freedom. You know, finding yeah. recovery and finding freedom, and then going about the business of your life. I mean, you know, uh, living life the way God would want you to live it, not the way you know some meathead who you know who just happens to be the leader of some uh, some home group wants you to wants you to live. Mm-hmm. For the type of alcoholic who is able and willing uh, to get well, little charity in the ordinary sense of the word is needed or wanted. The men who cry for money and shelter before conquering alcohol are on the wrong track. Yet we do go to great extremes to provide each other with these very things when such action is warranted. This may seem inconsistent, but we think it is not. It is not the matter of giving that is in question, but when and how to give. That often makes the difference between failure and success. And failure and success means life and death to the people we're working with. The minute we put our work on a service plane... The alcoholic commences to re- to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. There you go. <clears throat> that is uh, that's game set and match right there for uh-huh. the type of type of sponsors who who want you to obey their every whim. You know, home group loyalty, sponsorship authority. I'm going to read this again. The minute we put our our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. He clamors for this or that, claiming he cannot master alcohol until his material needs are cared for. Nonsense. Some of us have taken very hard knocks to learn this truth. Job or no job, wife or no wife, we simply do not stop drinking so long as we place dependence upon other people ahead of dependence upon God. So, um, you know, <laughs> that kind of makes it very, very clear there, doesn't it, Mike? Yes, it does. That, that, that tells it right there. And it's uh, it, when it says other people... It's talking about one other person or a meaningful of 20 or 50 absolutely. or 100. It, it absolutely is. Now, by the time we, we get through the steps, hopefully we're able to glean a little bit about, you know, what God would have us be and what God would have us do. You know, hopefully hopefully the step process isn't going to be years for, for some of these poor people, and they'll get to the point where they'll have that, that, uh, that sense of spirit, that sense of intuition, and they'll be able to rely upon understanding right and wrong, good and bad, and, and they'll work with God to, to head in that <clears throat> direction. Until that time, it's not a bad thing to place yourself under the care and protection of a sponsor or a spiritual uh, advisor. But listen, that's only supposed to be for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, it, if it goes on and on year after year after year, you're, you know, you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. You've done something wrong. The people that I've taken through the steps, I, I don't own them. I don't tell them what to do. I don't boss them around. 
I'll suggest a service commitment to them every once in a while or suggest they should go here or come there with me. But I will never ask somebody to do something that isn't two things. Number one, good for them. And number two, good for others. I'll never ask somebody to do something that isn't good for them and others. You know, and, and they have complete ability to say, I can't do that. <laughs> and and I'm not going to have a hard time about it. Because these are people who have gone through the steps. They're already living under the reliance upon God. I don't know everything mm-hmm. they should be doing in their life. I can't decide whether they should go left or right or quit a job or leave a marriage. That's playing God. And, we've, and we were asked not to do that as part of our third step decision. We're asked not to play God. So I'm not going to play God with these guys. That doesn't mean I won't give them suggestions, but, you know, I have to, I have to let go of, uh, of uh, the, you know, the outcome of that. I can't become hurt or uh, resentful that they're not doing everything I tell them to do. I'm not God. Yeah. Um, burn the idea. I think we're at- burn the idea into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trust in God and clean house. <laughs> you know, th- I have, uh, this has been I- in my book for a while. Um, right next to that, I have, you can get well. Um, you know, we hear many times, uh, you're never going to recover. You're not going to get well. I'm not well. Um, well, first of all, if you're constantly uh, telling yourself you're not well, you probably aren't well. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, th- you know, there's good news. There, there's, a, there's a good message of good news in this book, and one of them is that you can get well. Absolutely. Uh, you can recover. Yeah. The symptoms of alcoholism can be removed. You can be placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protective. The problem will be removed if you rightly relate yourself uh, to your creator. Yeah. I, you know, I've, it's been my experience. It's been your experience, Monty. The only people that will argue with you about that are people who are still untreated, uh, alcoholics or drug addicts, who haven't you know, been through these steps. Sure. Now, the domestic problem. There may be divorce, separation, or just strained relations. When your prospect has made such reparation as he can to his family, the ninth step, and has thoroughly explained to them the new principles by which he is living, you know, explaining the 12 steps to them, he should proceed to put those principles into action at home. That is, if he's lucky enough to have a home. I didn't (laughs) when, when I finally got sober. Though his family be at fault in many respects, he should not be concerned about that. Now, this is this is revolutionary. How about not complaining about anything in your family? You're 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 in the process of recovery from alcoholism. You're working the twelve steps. How about shutting up about everything? How about keeping your opinion to yourself? And how about stop stop bullying and and uh, trying to push people around the chessboard the way you want them uh, to 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 go? How about <laughs> stopping? that you know how about how about not criticizing anybody about anything how about that for a revolutionary very very little heard concept in the in the conventional (laughs) fellowship today oh yeah like that's going to (laughs) happen i mean we are the most critical people in the world we we were born with a critical gene You, you know here here we are you know we're on the we're on Skid Row with five cents in our pocket, and we and we know what the the political parties should be doing. You know, right? It's, right. It's unbelievable. He should concentrate on his own spiritual demonstration. 
Argument and fault-finding are to be avoided like the plague. In many homes, this is a difficult thing to do, but it must be done if any results are to be expected. How about, how about if this sentence is true, Monty? If you want any results at all from this 12-step process, you are going to have to stop finding fault and, and uh, arguing with people. I agree. <laughs> I, I, I do agree that's true. And, and, you know, we're going to argue. and We, we do find faults. So, but, but I'm looking at this, you know, uh, it's kind of like the difference between a liar and somebody who lies. Okay? Somebody who lies that's working on their recovery from that, and I know people that are, um, they, they, they slip and fall. They get back up to the power and grace of God, and they work on their program. But a liar is somebody who says, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. And I have yeah, no Yeah, that's a little bit like the difference between uh, denial and delusion. A- ab- uh, absolutely. You know, denial, a- you, you understand what you're denying. Delusion, you don't. Right, and, and that it, it, if they don't get past that, <clears throat> then no, results is, is not, it, there'll be results, but it's not going to be the right kind. That's absolutely true. <clears throat> if persisted in for a few months, the effect on a man's family is sure to be great. You, you know it. If, if all of a sudden you start, stop fighting them and, and uh, criticizing them and arguing with them, there's, there's going to be big changes in the family. The most incompatible people discover they have a basis upon which they can meet. Little by little, the family may see their own defects and admit them. These can be discussed in an atmosphere of helpfulness and friendliness. You know, you want to keep uh, the family sick. Just keep fighting them all the time. Keep telling them what they need to do. Um, Rather than allowing them to witness your own personal recovery, tell them what they should do. That's how you keep a family Mm. sick. Mm -hmm. Uh, After they have seen tangible results, the family will perhaps want to go along, meaning the family may want to go through the steps. These things will come to pass naturally and in good time, provided, however, the alcoholic continues to demonstrate that he can be sober, considerate, and helpful, regardless of what anyone says or does. (laughs) That's amazing right there. That's amazing. That is is setting the bar pretty high for some of us. Yeah. Of course, we will all fall much below this standard many times, but we must try to repair the damage immediately, lest we pay the penalty by a spray. Hmm. So if you, fall, if, you, if you fall short and you argue and you criticize and you try to manipulate, what you need to do is at the absolute first uh, moment you can recognize that you're doing this. You need to make amends for it. And pretty soon you're going to get tired of making amends for doing the same thing over and over again, and you're going to grow past it. That's my personal experience. Mm-hmm. After, you've, after you've made the tenth amend for starting an argument, you're going to just be so sick of making amends, you're just not going to start the argument. You, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. If there be divorce or separation, there, be, there should be no undue haste for the couple to get together. The man should be sure of his recovery. The wife should fully understand his new way of life. If their old relationship is to be resumed, it must be on a better basis since the former did not work. This means a new attitude and spirit all around. Sometimes it is uh, the best in the best interests of all concerned that a couple remain apart. Obviously, no rule can be laid down. Let the alcoholic continue his program day by day. When the time for living together has come, it will be apparent to both parties. 
Let no alcoholic say he cannot recover unless he has his family back. This just isn't so. In some cases, the wife will never come back, like in my case, um, uh, for one reason or another. Uh-huh. Remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. Here he says it again. It is dependent upon his relationship with God. We have seen men get well whose families have not returned at all, and we've seen others slip when the family came back too soon. Both you Now, he, here's a shift. Now they're talking about us as people taking people through the step. Right. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. So we're supposed to walk with them. <clears throat> if we're, if we're going to be guiding them, it's very difficult for us to be telling somebody to do something we're not doing ourselves or we haven't done ourselves. And they'll catch on to that. Oh, they will. Oh, yeah. The alcoholic can spot hypocrisy three blocks down the road. Yeah. If you persist, that means if you persist in walking the path of spiritual progress, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. This is probably one of my favorite promises in the book. This is a 12-step promise. I want to look at this really closely. We realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. Now, how amazing is that? Let, let's say you sit down with a prospect before you start going through the steps with them. Mm-hmm. Okay? And you basically say, okay, plan out the absolute perfect ideal life and give them a pen and paper and let them go to it. This promise is saying that after they get through the steps, by placing themselves in God's hands, they are gonna they are gonna uh, find things that are better than anything they could have put down on that piece of paper. That's, That's a powerful an statement. Promise. That's a powerful, powerful statement. Follow the dictates of a higher power, and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. So f- follow the dictates of your sponsor. Nope. No. <laughs> Dictate. Of your higher power. <clears throat> no matter. When working with a man in his family, you should take care not to participate in their quarrels. Mm. You may spoil a chance of being helpful if you do, but urge upon the man's family that he has been a very sick person and should be treated accordingly. You should warn against arousing resentment or jealousy. You should point out that his defects of character are not going to disappear overnight. Show them that he has entered upon a period of growth. Ask them to remember when they are impatient the blessed fact of his sobriety. If you have been successful in solving your own domestic problems, tell the newcomer's family how that was accomplished. In this way, you can set them on the right track without becoming critical of them. The story of how you and your wife settled your differences is worth any amount of criticism. You know, I uh, I didn't have the opportunity of putting uh, putting a family uh, back back together, Monty. Uh, I quit drinking about seven years <clears throat> after my family packed up and moved seven states away. But what I needed to do is I needed to start putting pieces of my life back together. Uh, my immediate family, you know, brothers, uh, sisters, uh, mother. Um, uh, so support group. I had to. I had to start uh, putting the pieces of that puzzle back together, and you know it was. A, it was a lot tougher because I did not have a guide uh, taking me through these these steps. I didn't have the uh, opportunity 
to have what, what we would call today a big book sponsor. They didn't exist in my area or time uh, uh, back, in, back in the 80s around here. Uh, so there was a lot of flying blind for me. I, I knew I had, to, I had to change. I knew I had to work uh, toward the removal of my character defects, but I just didn't have a good template for doing it. Um, I was I was buried in the step book way more than I was in the big book, and I was listening uh, to people in meetings a lot, and you know I was running around in a lot of circles. Uh, today, uh, today the people that work with me have the opportunity of being exposed to a template, uh, a way of life upon which we can all agree, uh, you know, a program of recovery, and they're going to have an easier time of it. Uh, I believe I see that happening mm-hmm. in people's lives. I see the change coming quicker because they're exposing themselves to the recovery process quicker. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes, what did you say one time? Sometimes slowly, some, or quickly, sometimes slowly. Why? Because some people work the steps quickly and some work them slowly. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. That's you know? true. Hey, hey uh, Chris, um, I am out of time because uh, somebody's uh, coming by to pick me up in just a few minutes. We're, we're right at the break, uh, or at the uh, the really close to the end of working with others. Um, next week, we're going to two, two, uh, two wives. And can well, we... Actually, well, actually, we probably will probably be all next week finishing up this chapter. Okay. We're going to be talking about some of the 12-step promises. Um, those, are, uh, those are pretty amazing. And some more tools for working, working with others. Uh, we 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 may move into uh, the chapter to wise, but okay. I'm not quite sure of it. Okay, great. Because I'm I'm just looking at just one and a half pages and the thing, and oh boy, we're almost done. But no, not necessarily because we get talking about this stuff. There's a lot of meat in here, and uh, it's important that we do this thoroughly, which I believe we are doing. Ah, wow. Just uh, uh, folks, l- listen. Listen to these. If, if this is the first one you've listened to, or you've just kind of picked one out of the middle, go back to the beginning and uh, listen to these in in order. I, I guarantee you that it'll it'll enhance your recovery uh, if you do that, rather than just picking one in the middle or um, you know you know like like some folks like to do. Well, <clears throat> I've done steps one, two, and three because I believe in God since I was a kid, and uh, I don't I'm not mad at anybody anymore, so I'll just do uh, step twelve. <laughs> good luck with that. Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> Tell me how that works. <laughs> Chris, thank you so much. Okay. All right. Folks. Monty, always a pleasure. Yeah, you too, buddy. Stay online just for a second. Folks, don't forget next week and all of our shows. Uh, just check them out. You're going to have a great time here at Take12Radio.com on your internet dial. Until next time, this is the Monty Man along with Chris Schroeder. And we are wishing God serenity for you. Bye-bye. This has been a broadcast of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting. <laughs>